Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that neb-nosed mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> That's FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. And get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to BlueChew.com right now. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. podcast being brought to you today on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always on the two-man power trip i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and on this show for 70 glorious episodes we are graced by the amazing presence of the one and only franchise shane douglas shane where the hell have you been for the last week well, I was going to say apologies to everybody, you guys and all the listeners. Uh, my phone crapped out last week, and I'm, I'm at the stage. I, my young son is on my account, and I'm at the stage where I'm I'm due for a, a new phone, but then he's not due till uh, November 10th. Uh, sorry, like a couple weeks into November. So you know, I was sort of stuck and haven't let Apple uh, repair my old phone. Uh, this phone. And uh, they weren't able to quite get it done in time. So we were waiting to, I was sitting waiting to do the uh, podcast last week, and several minutes went by, and here I looked down, my screen was black. 
and uh, couldn't get it turned back on. So apologies to everybody, but we're back now. We're going to pick right up where we left off, and if anything, get a little respite from uh, all the franchise BS last week. <laughs> we literally we got a text that said, be ready in two minutes. So now usually the be ready in two minutes is followed by, all right, guys, I'm ready. So me and John got all linked up, and we're sitting here, and you know we're chit-chatting. We're running through some uh, TMPT business, and – you know, we look down and it's like 20 minutes past and then it's 30 minutes past and then it's like an hour past and we're like, we start texting like, hey, hope everything's okay. <laughs> hope you're doing all right. You know, and then by the time we got off the line, like two hours later, we were like, um, all right, well, we'll check in in the morning. We'll see uh, if everybody's doing okay. <laughs> but uh, but we missed yeah. you. Glad to have you back. Yeah, good, good to be back. And uh, we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll pick up where we left off last week and uh so now it's just assume it's a week ago and we're two minutes into the queue and here we go. <laughs> so did you survive your first little trip through New Jersey in the early days here of November? Oh, we had a good time this weekend. Uh, I, I was able to hook up with an old college buddy that I hadn't seen in quite a while and uh, meet his wife and his daughter for the first time. I hadn't seen him literally in like 25 years. And uh, so we got to do that. Uh, had a couple great events. Uh, Friday night was in Queens, of course, uh, and uh, had a really great turnout there. Uh, then on Sunday, uh, did a thing with a, a group of uh, World One Wrestling, and uh, you know, sort of an annual deal they do it do down there, like a turkey bull type of thing. And uh, had a had a great time. It was a great weekend and. Uh, the trip back last night was a little bit long because I just sort of moseyed back to Pittsburgh. Uh, it wasn't no big rush, but uh, I got back and been going all day. I had about three hours sleep and going all day and feeling good, ready to roll. Awesome. Now that you'll be back in Jersey, I know that in a few weeks. So uh, the Garden State hardly knew you. You'll be back in no time. <laughs> That's right. And this time you'll be running the the, the gauntlet with uh, with ESS Promotions. So you'll be having your work cut out for you, which is. Uh, which is always the case with ESS, but you know I got to tell you, Shane, we we've got so much stuff that's gone on in the show in the last couple of months, and we're gonna have giveaway number three coming your way here in the next couple of days. We'll have it revealed on the Twitter page. What will be the next giveaway? What action figure, courtesy of Figures Toy Company, is uh, is headed the way of the fans? And the third part of this uh, four part series we've got with Figures Toy Company. So as you wrap up that weekend and you head into your next couple of weekends, you got another giveaway that you're going to be uh, announcing in the uh, probably next week on the show, I'd say. So hope everybody's going to strap in and get ready for yet another great giveaway courtesy of this Triple Threat podcast. Sweet, but are we still not eligible? Like, uh, like we, we, us and our families can't win? <laughs> I don't know. Your co, your son may be a future co-host if this uh, <laughs> this phone snafu comes up again. So his he might have to get paid in a uh, figures toy company extra figure. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I you know so the fans know. I don't know who the, who the third giveaway is yet. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you know I've heard, had a lot of people asking me about it and really putting over the figures toy. Uh, 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 figures because they uh they're excited for the candido uh, uh, uh figure coming out and you know every place i've been going i've been hearing you know people bringing that up to me instead of me having to bring it up to them they're bringing it up to me and asking and the, and the eternal question is bam bam bigelow when i try to explain to them uh 
you know, I think the fans are still holding on to the hope that that something more can happen, but they're really excited about the, you know, all the other figures, you know, Francine and Chris Candido and uh, Blue Mini and Mikey Whipwreck and all the other guys that are involved, just incredible. Uh, they're really, really excited about it. Yeah, no, it's very good. And also, uh, you know, speaking of those two guys, you got Mikey Whipwreck and Jerry Lynn also joining the podcast, Frey, so you can get the... Uh, figures, toy company, figures of yourself and Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck, and you have a podcast summit now in your very own living room between the uh, <laughs> yeah, the right. three legends. So they're yeah they're adding people left and right. And Chris from Figures Toy Company, I mean he's such a big fan of yours, and he tweets out all the time. You know whether it's uh, they were promoting one of the uh, the DVD compilations from RF Video this past week. Uh, of all the old original, actually, I think the triple threat stuff they were promoting was with Brian Lee, but still, it, it nonetheless, Chris is such a big fan of you and of the triple threat that I know for him personally to get the Candido figure added was such a big deal. And just to give one away to the fans, and we've done two previously, it, it's so cool, especially getting into the holiday time. You know, whether you win it and you pass that along to somebody else, <laughs> we like to think we're the gift that keeps on giving. Just, just to be clear, but he's kidding. We are not eligible for the. You gotta, you, you gotta be careful how you like lay this stuff out because somebody's liable in, in this era of fake news. Somebody's liable to take something and run with it and believe it. So we are not eligible. But I, I'll be buying one for sure because uh, I, you know, uh, I still have the old figures of, of of me and Chris and Bam Bam. None of you know me and Chris, of course, from the ECW collection, uh, but the Bam Bam. Uh, figure so I want to take the new franchise uh, figures toy company figure with the Francine figures toy company figure and now the uh, coming Chris Candido and if we have to we'll put uh, a Bam Bam Bigelow from that other company that promotion up in the north there uh, we'll put <laughs> that with it but we're I'm waiting with bated breath because I believe in in all things that should happen are going to happen now have you ever seen Spaceball Shane Baseball with John Candy and Mel Brooks. Yeah, no, I never saw it. Okay, <laughs> well, hey, so there's a part in Spaceballs where uh, Rick Moranis's character of uh, Lord Helmet has a strategy session <laughs> with the action figures. I don't know why I could have seen you doing that back in '98, sitting back in the locker room with the uh, with the figures planning out the uh, the attack. Yeah, <laughs> how do you know I didn't? <laughs> Well, there you go. You got me. Uh, you got me on that one. But look, in this episode, we were originally going to be talking all about pro wrestlers versus zombies. But being a week removed now from Halloween, we're going to scale the talk about the movie back a little bit. We're still going to cover it because there's some questions that we'd like to get answered. That uh, you know, kind of looking out there about the movie, there's not a lot of stuff in relation to the behind the scenes, and we've talked about it a little bit, but never gone too much into it. But in the meantime, there was a lot of stuff going on in the wrestling world, and I'm going to hand it over to JP because uh, he's going to talk to you about this WWE Crown Jewel event, which had a lot of news uh, happening coming out of it and heading into it because obviously we were a part of the uh, the Roman Reigns discussion a few weeks back. We got a lot of coverage about that Roman Reigns uh, announcement, and we were one of the first shows to talk about it. But there was a lot of stuff going in, and there's a lot of stuff coming out. So I'm going to hand it over to JP so you two can shoot the breeze on uh, the crown jewel. <laughs> so Shane, it was a big show over in Saudi Arabia, crown jewel, part of the WWE Network. Hulk Hogan returned. Brock Lesnar is the universal champion again. 
Shane McMahon not only won the World Cup in a tournament he was never in, he was also called the best in the world, and he only wrestled about a three-minute match. Um, very interesting stuff. Uh, Shawn Michaels comes out of retirement after eight and a half years. He is bald. I have to remember uh, remind you of that again. He is bald now, Shane. <laughs> <He's got> no <laughs> hair. <laughs> uh, him, Triple H, Reform DX, they fight Undertaker and Kane, the Brothers of Destruction. The combined age in that match was 205. Shane, I don't know if you saw any of it, saw any pictures. I know well, we sent you an article on it. I hope you read it. What were your I thoughts did. on Crown Jewel? Because not only did Daniel Bryan not make the show, John Cena did not make the show either. Well, you know, based off of solely the, the link that you sent, uh, to be honest with you, I had forgotten it was this weekend. Uh, you know, I, that's how out of, uh, you know, out of mind it was to me. Uh, but, you know, judging off of what I read, it, it sounds like there was a, a pall over the show uh, you know, for obvious reasons. I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about the uh, Khashoggi killing and, you know, the, the fact that the WWE was still moving forward with that show. Uh, this is what happens when, you know, you go into something and you just expect that all is as it was, you know, it's an aberration that doesn't impact us. It doesn't affect us. And yet it clearly did. According to what you told me, uh, uh, Daniel Bryan didn't want to be part of the show because of, uh, you know, the negativity surrounding the Khashoggi death and, and uh, if, if rumors are correct from what we're hearing, that uh, John Cena's agent warned him that it would not be good for his uh, uh, Hollywood career. Uh, but you know, when you when you set it down, and you know, look, I, the guys that were in the, in the main event, uh, you know, they're they're all proven, right? Uh, you know, track tested guys. Uh, so uh, and and huge names. So you can see why the WWE would have this pension for when I'm moving in that direction. But when you've got guys in the ring, I can speak from personal experience. When you've been out of the ring for years, it is extremely difficult to just pick up. It's, it's not just like, you know, the old saying, you know, once you know how to ride a bike. Uh, this, this industry is very different in that sense because that so much of what we do is based off of timing. And, you know, timing is, uh, two points. Timing, uh, is something that rusts very quickly. And the other part of it is, uh, what we call bump shape, you know, being able to get in the ring and take those consistent bumps and your body absorb it and you get sort of used to it. Uh, but when you've been off for years at a time and you're well into your fifties, uh, you know, suddenly that's going to have a, a, a great big impact. Then like in Sean's case, where your partner uh, goes down, unfortunately to an injury, uh, and you're left to carry the bag for the vast majority of this match. Uh, you know, that it was an uphill battle from him for him from the beginning. And to that, then have the injury occur, it, it really put him in a bad position. You know, a position that no matter how much he wanted to fulfill, uh, you know, just the, the, the father time catches up with everybody. And, you know, clearly uh, it did in that match. Um, 
but I, I was more taken back as I read the article about the, you know, when you, when you Google, uh, uh, WWE crown jewel and the first thing that comes up is botches, you know, that's, that's not a good sign. And you know, the, the number of botches, according to the internet, uh, that was involved in that main event, uh, I think is, uh, it, it, it saddens me in, in the case that it's looking at it from the fans position that they're looking at, you know, four iconic names and obviously expecting, you know, a, a mass to deliver based off of that. And then you see all these unforeseen things happening, the injury and the missed spots and, you know, the blowing up and, you know, things like that, that sort of become an anchor on, on that match. And, uh, it makes you wonder if there's like, you know, the, the ghost of Christmas past, present and future, right? Like if, if there wasn't some kind of, uh, jinx on it because of them proceeding with the show, uh, you know, but clearly there was a, a lot less gotten out of the main event than they had hoped for. Now, combined age of all of them is 205. They're all, you know, up there in age. They're all, you know, they're in the tag match for a reason, you would think, because, you know, obviously we got to protect Michael a little bit, eight and a half years off, just coming back. Kane is really a part-timer at this point. Undertaker's a part-timer. Triple H is a part-timer. We're trying to protect all these guys. So you would think the match would probably be about 15 minutes or less, but no, they go 35 minutes. Don't you think you got to protect these guys a little bit and, and go, uh, you know, probably half of what they did? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you're being kind there when you say they're part-timers. Uh, you know, wrestling at WrestleMania and Crown Jewels, hardly part-time. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a, uh, you know, a flyby. Um, but again, I think it just speaks, you know, we've, we've talked about this how many times and, you know, for me to keep on saying it sounds like I'm beating the dead horse, but, uh, you know, you've got to state it. When the WWE has committed to this big show and then has to deliver a match that has 200 and what did you say, four or five years uh, of, of age into it, uh, you can call it experience if you want. But, th you know, the, the fact that the WWE has to keep going back to this well uh, every WrestleMania and now for these big shows like, uh, crown jewel shows me clearly definitively what I've known deep in my bones. And I've spoken about publicly a million times. They have not taken the time to create that next generation of guys and mass that can take that mantle that the undertaker carried that Shawn Michaels carried that, uh, uh Hunter carried and that Kane carried. And so now they're going to roll them back out. And so what, in a few months, we'll see them again in some sort of performance because, uh, the WWE has failed to get the other kids over, uh, you know, shame on them. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's not just that they're screwing the, the, the wrestling fans, uh, they're, they're, they're screwing the benefactor that's paying for this. Uh, sounds like you ain't the kind of guy you want to screw with. Uh, but you know, they, they keep doing this and they have to keep going back to this. Well, look, 50 years from now, the WWE fans will love seeing those guys in the appearance because they beckon back to that 
huge time in the WWE, back when the WWE truly was huge, uh, you know, with the monster rating numbers, eights and nines in the ratings and, you know, sold out house shows and all the rest of the numbers we've talked about. Um, so the fans will always, you know, get, show some level of respect for that. Does that mean they need to be in boots and tights and in the ring performing? I don't think so. And I think this match sort of showed that, you know, you know, having not seen the match, I can't speak specifically to it, but my feeling on it is that, uh, when you have four guys with that much experience to have that much stuff go wrong in a match, uh, a, in their prime, all of them would have been able to seamlessly cover any kind of botches. And, you know, and uh, this isn't a criticism because, again, like I said, Father Time catches up with everybody. Uh, so they would have been able to, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, seamlessly cover that and almost made it like part of the match. And now, you know, the links that I saw, it sort of looked like, you know, anybody, you know, in an independent match and in any other match when they got lost or screwed up, how to get it back and get it back on track. Uh, the match should never have gone that long. And even if they planned it that long, as soon as Hunter's injury uh, happened, they should have called an audible and shortened that match greatly just not to put so much pressure on the remaining three guys. And in this case, Sean being, you know, the, the major, uh, benefactor of having to pick up that slack. So, uh, on every level again, but this is what happens when, you know, you've got a, a very small number of people in this case, one or two or three people making decisions based on something and going, well, yeah, sure. No problem. And, you know, one of the guys hadn't been in the ring for eight and a half years. The other guy's been semi, super semi-retired for the last several years. And the other has been out campaigning for the last year and a half. And, you know, obviously not focused on performing. So this thing had bots written all over it before any of the botches even occurred. And if you really watch and really pay attention, Shawn Michaels, he looked great physically. Uh, he's definitely in great shape. He, Still got it, if you know what I mean. I mean, he could still wrestle. He still got it. But he didn't quite have the same pizzazz. I mean, people will say it's because he was older and everything else, and I get that part. But I'm just saying his heart didn't seem like he was into it. And after the match, there's a clip online where he says to Triple H very clearly, and the camera kind of zooms into him, and he says, man, we're getting way too old for this. So you could tell his heart just wasn't into it. The old heart for a kid, his heart wasn't into it. Yeah. It's, and that's completely understandable. You know, it's, uh, again, uh, you know, when, when I semi-retired in, in the early 2000s and, and had been away from the ring for not nearly that long, you know, getting back in the ring, every bump hurt. Uh, every, the timing was slow. The wind was nowhere near where you ex remembered it being. Uh, so I can only imagine after eight and a half years being away, uh, you know, stepping in and again, you know, the injury to Hunter is something that nobody can plan on, but you have to always have that, that, uh, backup plan that in, you know, cause in our industry, this an injury is always just one second away. 
And so when that happens, you can't just say, well, okay, let's just go ahead and stick to the original plan and now throw it all on one guy. Uh, you know, at that point, it should have been as easy as deciding two plus two is four. It should have been easy for them to say, okay, you know what, we planned on 35 or whatever it was they planned on. Let's cut that down. Let's abbreviate that and let's get to the, you know, let's keep it as tight as we can to keep it entertaining and not put too much load on Shawn Michaels or any one person in that match. That's common sense. Definitely. And a lot of people online were saying, oh, Triple H, he's so tough, the torn pack. You know, like kind of putting it that way, but I look at it from a different perspective. Yes, you know, great that he was tough enough to, you know, toughen it out and finish the match. But I'm thinking to myself, the guy got hurt again. Isn't this some sort of sign like, dude, you, you're you're running WB here. Maybe you should stop wrestling. You get hurt pretty much every time you wrestle, and you always gas out, and you're you're not in great shape. Even though you look great, it's more you know it's more for show than go. Don't you think it's almost time where it's like, all right, Triple H, it's kind of a sign here. Like maybe you you should stop not even being a part timer. Maybe just head on over to the boardroom or head on over to that booking chair. Absolutely, and it gets back to what I said a second ago, because by not doing that, you're pulling requisite resources from the kids that you could be getting over, and some misguided idea that you're needed, or that, uh, you know, it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So, is do they need names? Yes, because they haven't got the younger guys over. But would they need the names if they pulled themselves off, like in Hunter's case, pulled himself off in whatever time he was going to devote to himself, to his character, devoted to a Dolph Ziggler or a Bobby Roode or a Samoa Joe or a Joe Blow? Um, They've got to start to build that next generation. And you can't half-ass that. You can't just say, okay, well, you know, we'll push them just to this level. And then we'll, you know, hold it back. I mean, you know, how long have we been talking about Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode and these guys? Uh, they've clearly got the talent in the dressing room to, to build that next generation. But my question is, now, has it gotten to the point where the fans have started just out of, uh, out of habit, looked past Dolph Ziggler? And now looking past Bobby Roode and saying, well, they're not obviously not going to push those guys. And, and then they put, if they do start to push them, it's only so far. And then, you know, and, and then here comes WrestleMania and here comes the undertaker and here comes Mick Foley and here comes Shawn Michaels and here comes Hunter and, and the rest of the gang. Uh, you know, it's, that is clearly management. There, there, there's no way to put point one finger of blame any of the kids on the roster, this is none of their doing, and it's none of their fault. This is all on management. What do you think of Shane McMahon winning the World Cup tournament at a tournament he wasn't even a part of and becoming the quote-unquote best in the world, which has got to be some sort of inside joke or some sort of remark or some trolling uh, on CM Punk that Shane McMahon is known as the best in the world? He's got to. He's got to know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. like 
like, come on. Like, I would be embarrassed to walk into a room in similar circumstances and say, you know what? <laughs> you know, there's only one way to go here. Put Shane Douglas in there and put Shane Douglas over on these two studs that we have that we're trying to build. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, there's an old, Dusty Rhodes used to have an old saying, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Uh, this is so far beyond that. <laughs> uh, and nothing against Shane. I, I mean, but, you know, pick a side, your management or your on-air talent. You want to be on-air talent and get boots and tights at least and, you know, be on-air talent. You go to be management, be management. But, uh, you know, to sort of do this this sort of in-between thing and then to put the Miz and, and uh, uh, Dolph Ziggler in that position, uh, I would dare argue that you've knocked them down a few pegs and done nothing to, to show, you know, all the stuff we had talked about in the main event. You've done nothing to offset any of that. You just added to it. So what's next? Vince senior coming out. <laughs> you know, is he the next to come trolling out here? And, and, uh, he, he's going to come out and beat Brock. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems to me that they've lost real sight of any kind of booking acumen. And that it's just it, seemingly let's throw a shit against the wall and see what sticks. Cause that's all of it is awful. And, and detriment to, to all of it. There's no bright spot to any of it. It's so funny that he won the world cup and he's quote unquote the best in the world. They keep saying that over and over. He wasn't even in the damn tournament to begin with. He wasn't one of the guys that was supposed to be in the tournament. So, I mean, obviously this is either leading to some sort of survivor series team or raw SmackDown thing, or maybe Shane's going to turn heel, but with Shane McMahon, what's kind of your impression or your history with Shane O'Mac? Good guy, I, bad guy. Have you ever had any dealings with him? Oh, yeah. But he was a kid when I knew him. I, I mean, a young kid, 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, and I've always had a ton of respect for Shane. You know, I think that he, you know, the, the fact that he's willing to go in and work as hard as he does in the ring is impressive to me. But again, I don't see the need for it. I mean, to me right now, the pressing need, the number one priority to WWE ought to be establishing the next generation. Who, is, who are those stars going to be? Who's going to carry that mail so that when the Undertakers and the Mick Foley's and the Shawn Michaels of the world can no longer go or want to go, who picks up that mantle? And as of right now, I think that's still a big question mark because they keep rolling these guys out. Shane O'Mac being another one of them, you know, by keep rolling these guys out and pulling them into it, you know, I'm sure they're having fun. I, you know, anybody that's ever performed in this business and competed knows that to God's ears, they would do it forever if they could. Uh, being in front of a live crowd is an incredibly powerful opiate, but to, to do it when you're the guy controlling the strings, uh, to the detriment of the younger guys on the card that could be very easily filling those spots 
if you took the time to build them, like Steve Austin used to say, if Vince wants to get you over, he'll strap a rocket to your ass. Um, I think it, any fan listening right now knows that I can make one hell of an argument against them having ever strapped a rocket to Dolph Ziggler's ass, or in this case, the Miz's ass, or Bobby Roode's ass, or even Samoa Joe's ass. Uh, they're failing on that front. And what's around the bend? What's the next thing? The next thing is around the bend is father time has pushed more time behind you and moved even further into the future. You have to have a card ready and capable to go to sell out those WrestleManias and the other major pay-per-views. And as of right now, they, they've to date failed to live up to that and fulfill that commission and they continued to with the crown jewel. Uh, I, I, I just don't see the reason that they're doing it. Uh, other than being lazy, uh, taking the shortest distance between two points and being self aggrandizing. I don't see the reason that they're doing it because it's to the huge detriment of all those young talents that I just mentioned. Now, Kurt Angle also was on the show, and I have to mention this because Chad told me this earlier today. His favorite wrestler from Pittsburgh is Kurt Angle. Kind of disrespectful, don't you think? Wow. That's a zinger. <laughs> I thought it was Larry Zabisco. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Hey, Shane, let's pause one second and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Hey, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, you said the same. Take care of business, baby. And if you got business to take care of tonight with your better ass, the best way to do it is get to BlueChew.com right now because only right now. If you use the promo code FRANCHISE, you're going to get your first shipment free, and all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, making sure, like Dusty said, Take care of business, baby. You're going to be able to take care of it right tonight. It's the first ever chewable, so you're not going to have to wait at that doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. So if you've got business to take care of tonight, like the American Dream said, take care of it right. Again, BlueChew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. BlueChew.com, the promo code FRANCHISE. (laughs) Now, Chad... I know you're a big pro wrestler versus zombies fan, and Kurt Angle was your favorite part of that movie, but I can't believe that Kurt Angle is really your favorite wrestler from Pittsburgh. What about Shane? Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know. I mean, Shane's definitely up there. He's in the discussion. Um, I don't know if we've got – do we have what, – what kind of medals do we have? Can we go into the high school and the college? Uh, how about the academic department? Can we pull out some varsity letters or something like that? Kalon. <laughs> Kalon Leadership Scholarship, baby. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's impressive. That's definitely impressive. But it's one, I, I'll, I'll grant you it's one step behind the Olympic gold medal, but it's not that far behind. <laughs> so I'm sure when the, uh, the title cards for Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies came out and Kurt Angle's name was attached to it, there was a little Pittsburgh flavor there. But, folks, I mean, let, let's be honest here. I mean, Shane... Shane, Shane and Roddy Piper are the stars of this movie. Kurt Angle's in, on screen for all of about three minutes of Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, that's kind of one of the funny things if you, uh, you look at the box cover. It's almost like Drew Barrymore in Scream, that she's in it for the first few <laughs> minutes, but then she's gone, and you guys kill Kurt Angle within three minutes of the damn movie starting. Well, it's, you know, 
to be fair, I mean, the way the movie was structured was that they had, you know, uh, guys like Kurt were just there for cameos. And, uh, you know, the movie was built around my character and Roddy's character. That was the whole subject of the movie was uh, this, you know, this guy dying in the ring. And then, you know, uh, of course, the setup, you know, Roddy and and the franchise. Yeah. So you've got these two iconic characters, these two iconic heels slash semi baby faces, uh, that are, you know, running headlong to each other, uh, in the movie. And, you know, from, like I've always said, you know, pro wrestlers versus zombies ain't gone with the wind, but for us, it was a lot of fun doing the movie, uh, because we were, you know, if it, if I'm pretty sure it comes across, but if, if anybody ain't getting it, we're making fun of the characters that we played, uh, you know, by, you know, going out there and portraying them the way that we did, completely typical to those characters. Uh, then, you know, and putting them in, into this just uber ridiculous situation, uh, it allowed all those characters to, to play totally off of all the things that made those characters what they were. Roddy, Roddy Piper, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, the franchise. Uh, Kurt Angle, uh, Matt Hardy, Rebby Sky, uh, you know, it, it played off all of those. Uh, and, and again, I want to mention all the great young talent from Pittsburgh. You know, there were a lot of guys that were in this, in, in the movie, uh, young, uh, wrestlers, uh, that did a phenomenal job. And, uh, you know, it was for me, it was just a learning experience, the whole curve, because I, I'd never done a movie before, but to be on the set with Roddy and watching Roddy prepare for his scenes, uh, you know, imparting a lot of his wisdom uh, from his experiences of having done some pretty good movies like they live, uh, you know, doing that and being on that set, it, it, it was like a time warp right back to being a kid in the business again, where I would sit, early on from a distance. And then once I got to know the guys from a closer distance, uh, how did they prepare for their matches? How did they set their matches up? Uh, how did they execute once they were in the ring? How did they create this character and, and portray these characters that they played? And, you know, suddenly here I, I am on a movie set doing the same exact thing I did 25 years earlier with these same exact guys. Yeah, and that's really cool. And there's a lot of little trivia that I'm going to kind of follow here as I run down a little bit about the movie. Uh, you know, the fact it's been a couple of years removed already is is interesting in its own right. That the time moves pretty fast. But I was watching some of the uh, some of the media that you did when the movie came out and kind of seeing what it was like for the filming process and seeing how it all came about. But I, what I was impressed by was something you said about how the, uh, the the people in and around the filming locations, how they turned out in droves to be extras in this film was kind of extraordinary because it's not your big budget film. It's not one of your you know major studio releases, but the fact that there was so much interest by people wanting to be zombies in this movie, I thought was pretty uh, was pretty cool. And you guys had quite the turnout from uh, everything that I was reading and uh, <laughs> saw you specifically talking about in the media. Yeah, no, no doubt. We had, uh, first of all, the local radio station there in Parkersburg, West Virginia, uh, they would have, we would send 
you know, one day me and Hacksaw went down, another day Roddy went down, another day you know, it was uh, Matt Hardy of Rebel Sky went down there. So we would say, hey, we'll be shooting tonight at this location. Uh, we need this many extras. And if we needed 50, 300 would show up. Uh, the city of Parkersburg really rolled out the red carpet and did a phenomenal job. Uh, in, the, in the final scene that we're shooting, you know, where there's a, the fight up the hill, uh, you know, to the apex point of, of uh, the area that we were in, uh, there was a park. And, you know, if it looks cold on, on camera, you cannot imagine how cold it was because there was a 25, 35 mile an hour wind blowing. Uh, where in Parkersburg, they have this park that overlooks the city of Parkersburg. And it's literally on, on like a 300 foot cliff that goes down to the Ohio River. And the way the, it sits there, it's, a, you know, it's like a, sort of on a corner of a valley. And so the wind whips from two directions and blows down over that hill towards the river. And there was this constant, severe blowing wind, you know, and freezing cold as it was. And, you know, if wrestling fans don't know already, uh, wrestling gear doesn't have a lot of insulation in it. So, you know, when you're in, in you know, 15 degree weather and there's a 35 mile an hour wind blowing. But to my amazement, you know, so many of those locals and those extras that were working, they were out there without shirts on and, you know, without any clothing, you know, on, on their upper bodies, they were completely exposed. One kid had like a pair of shorts on, no shirt, was all, you know, had the makeup. And then, of course, the, the blood, you know, that was, you know, just pulled you down even more. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of, of the locals in Parkersburg. And what a phenomenal job they did to come out and support pro wrestlers versus zombies. Uh, you know, I'm sure each one of them had their own reason and want to be involved in a movie and being around the wrestlers and that sort of thing. But still, to be out in those elements, the way that the, those all those people did, and there were hundreds of them that did this uh, on a night-to-night basis. Even now, looking back and talking about it, it was incredibly humbling uh, and very, very cool to see. Yeah, and one of the little IMDb trivia pieces is that you did uh, so many of your own stunts that you became very ill due to the, uh, the the cold nature of what was going on and the fact that uh, those 20 to 30 mile per hour winds were so, I guess, uh, encompassing <laughs> of the environments yeah. that you yourself ended up going down, which uh, I'm sure, you know, when you're putting together a movie in the amount of time that you guys did, you know, you really can't afford to lose one of your stars for a, uh, an extended period of time. No, I, I was, uh, I didn't feel it coming on. It was, you know, I was just, we were so busy and we were burning a candle at both ends. You know, I was also producing. So, uh, you know, I was working behind the scenes on things and not getting enough sleep, enough rest. And, you know, this is, you're really on, your back's up against the wall because you don't have the luxury of having the budget to say, we'll extend filming for two or three weeks to make up for this. Uh, but, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. We we were shooting the final scene, and when I got ill was when uh, there was the face-off scene with me and the brother of the uh, uh, of the wrestler that I'd killed. And as we're fighting our way up this this mountainside, I just I got so me I, I since I've been a kid I can go out winter with shorts on. Uh, the cold rarely affects me. 
And all of a sudden, I got this chill to the bone that I couldn't shake. And uh, they put me in the, uh, uh, the one of the trailers, cranked the heat up, and had literally like blankets and jackets and anything they could find on top of me. And I, I just couldn't shake the chill. And finally, one of the producers, Cameron Bartolotta, uh, took me back to the hotel and uh, cranked the heat up in the room and uh, you know got me you know settled in and, and, and warmed up enough that I, I was able to at least get some sleep. And the next day I was fine, but it was uh, you know it's no joke when you're out and doing that kind of stuff and you know running and you know going back to the you know watch the playback and. Uh, you know, setting up the next scene and, and doing these things for days and weeks on end, it definitely caught up to me and knocked my ass down. Camera uh, Bartolotta, who I believe is in the political uh, world these days, so that's quite the transition from uh, making a pro wrestling zombie movie into uh, into moving into a political office. Yeah, Camera is now a state senator in Pennsylvania, and she's been doing a phenomenal job. Uh, very intelligent woman. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, she, she ran an incredible campaign, uh, really balls out, uh, you know, really worked her ass off, uh, to get elected to that position. And she's been fighting hard ever since she wasn't, she wasn't just one of those people who got the job and just sat back and rested. She's been working hard. Uh, I stay in touch with her as much as I can. Uh, but for me being from Pittsburgh, uh, she's, uh, she represents Southwest Pennsylvania, uh, that I, I read about her more often than I talk to her. Uh, and you know, she's, uh, she's really working hard in that position. I'm, I'm proud to know her that, that, you know, she's been, uh, that she, you know, she ascended to that. And I think the Pennsylvania, uh, GOP has, you know, bigger plans for, her. you know, she's, uh, she wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me the least to see her running for governor or a U.S. senator or U.S. representative uh, sometime soon. She's she's that good at what she does. Well, that's very cool. And now the synopsis of the movie calls it a troop of professional wrestlers booked for a private show in abandoned prison and battle hordes of the undead. Now, we mentioned Rowdy Roddy Piper being uh, the, the real, the, the key cog to the, the, the promotion. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of Rowdy Roddy Piper's uh, reputation as an actor that really helped guide the film. Yeah. But now, according to the IMDb trivia, and I'd be curious to know as to you being a part of this project, it says that Mick Foley was supposed to play the Rowdy Roddy Piper role first. Now, is that true? Do you recall that? Yeah, there was, I don't know if an offer was ever made to him. Uh, it may have been. I don't, I wasn't privy to any of that. But, uh, if if that's the case, it was very early on because uh, I know from the earliest time that I was involved, I was the conduit to Roddy. And I know they were talking with Roddy very early on from my uh, participation in the movie. So, but I did hear that there were, uh, that the character, the, the way I, as I remember, and I may be wrong on this, but as I remember it, the role was written for Mick Foley, but... Uh, they went with Roddy uh, because of, I, I'm not really even sure the reason why, but the, the, the rule was written with, with Mick fully in mind. And then when Roddy be, became available, uh, you know, they just instantly moved over to him. 
Now, I may be wrong on some of that. That's that's my recollection of it. And I guess I know Roddy was involved from a very early point because from my earliest uh, participation in the project, Roddy was involved. Now, it would obviously make the story a little bit more interesting with uh, wrestling fans knowing the background with you and Mick, but I love the dynamic of you and Roddy. And as a fan... To know that you guys never met in the ring and that you guys had such a, a similar path in terms of how you guys are and are and us, unfortunately with Piper, were in the business, you know, that you guys beat to your own drum and that you guys are very outspoken. And, and I'm sure you've talked about learning from him in, in terms of acting, in terms of wrestling, but never getting in the ring with Roddy. Is that something that you kind of wish you could have done in your career? Is that one of those bucket list oh. items that you wish you could have had? Oh my God! Yes, uh, you know, as a, you know, Roddy was was like to me the the one of the first guys of that big generation that transcended being a heel. You know, be, prior to that, wrestlers were you're a heel or you're a babyface, and Roddy was so cool as a heel that the fans couldn't hate him. You know, he was just that good. And, you know, his personality bled through. If you, if you ever met Roddy and talked with him, he such a, was such a genuine guy and really enjoyed meeting people and talking with people. And that's what I think really made the Roddy Piper character, Roddy Roddy Piper character work, was, A, he was, A, you know, just so gifted on camera. You know, he, his wittiness, uh was something that to, like, to watch. You know, there are a handful of guys, uh, Lou Albano, uh, Roddy Piper. Uh, you know, there are a handful of guys that, you know, could sit there and you, th- you know, throw them some sort of, you know, nothing. And you know, they'd bat it around and turn it into Bobby Heenan was another one. Uh, that they could then turn that into something you, you know, piss your pants laughing on. Uh, they, they just had a real talent. Uh, and, and wittiness is the best way I can describe it. They had, they were so quick on their feet, all of those guys that I mentioned, uh, and I'm sure I'm missing some, but, you know, Roddy was so talented that as, as a performer, uh, you know, we all think in terms of when we were at our peak, you know, so for me, you know, the ECW franchise character, uh, having gotten a chance, had it ever come up to work with Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, the fans saw what we were able to do uh, between like, me and Terry Funk. And I think if you would put Roddy Piper's acerbic character into that and had you know given the franchise something to play off of and something for him to play off of with the franchise character, uh, I think it would have been golden. And just as a fan of his, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that still marks out for things. And, you know, to think about getting the opportunity to work with Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, to me, that would have been, you know, to work an extended angle with would have been certainly a, something on the bucket list and something that, that you'd remember forever for the rest of your career. I'm sure the closest it probably could have come to realistically getting done was probably in WCW. Had there been a, a crossing of paths maybe during that Millionaire's Club uh, New Blood time frame that maybe could have been the best shot you had because obviously you know we, we know about the flair part of that feud but then we also talked about you know maybe you and the hulkster kind of crossing paths too so that was probably the best chance you would have had 
at, uh, at maybe locking up there with the hot rod. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at it again, you know, this is not just a, like a slap at, but, you know, we've talked at length over the, the 70 episodes of this podcast of, you know, the foibles of WCW that, you know, it's, I, I've often said jokingly, but, you know, with full seriousness that, you know, I'm sure there's uh, some business college out there someplace with running classes of, you know, what not to do based off the WCW model. Uh, when I went to WCW there at the end, there was a singular focus in mind, uh, from management, me and Flair. And, but you know, the, being the standard bearer, big mouth for my generation, that character would have transcended to a Hulk Hogan, to a Roddy Roddy Piper, to any, uh, Larry Zabisco, to anybody else that was in WCW that was from that previous generation. Uh, because it was uh, the Millionaires Club versus the New Blood was meant by design to be uh, generationally driven and driven off of like characters. So, you know, the franchise character obviously was very similar to the flair mode uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but there were also great similarities between the franchise character and Roddy Piper albeit none of the wittiness that Roddy had. Uh, you know, so th that would have worked out incredibly well had somebody ever had the foresight to do it. Unfortunately, by that time, WCW had uh, digressed into its worse, worser habits, if that makes sense, and, uh, you know, was built off of the politicking and you know, what's the, you know, who's the favorite du jour this week uh, in the office. It really became a how not to run a wrestling promotion at the end. And we saw the outcome of that. And we've talked about it at great length, but talking about the movie here, and like I said, we, we were going to do a more in-depth episode. Maybe we'll save it for next Halloween, but we'll kind of condense a couple of the, the points here into to one, maybe send off for this movie for the time being. But you know, obviously, it's your first acting role. Obviously, you know, a, a horror movie is going to be very physical. So we talked about you and the stunts. And we talked about all the, the wrestlers and the personalities and the extras and the, the efforts that went into it. And obviously, Cody Knott's writing, directing, and even having a role in it and having to act, which he wasn't originally going to do, and, and, having, and having to step in. Did it meet your expectations of being in your first feature film like that? Did it? Did you have anything that you were looking to do that maybe you didn't do? Like, if you look back at it, what what are your overall grand thoughts of the the movie? Was it a fun experience? Did it kind of wet your palate as to wanting to do more acting? I know you have been, um, but kind of give us the whole you know front to to back you know the expectations through execution of the movie. Well, you know, again, being my first time on a movie set, it, it was for me just, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, I'll be difficult and arduous, uh, but, you know, I was wide-eyed like I was as a kid in the business. Uh, looking back, my, if I had a, you know, magic wand that I could wave, uh, not to produce coal mining jobs or manufacturing jobs, but to produce like the perfect scenario on this movie set, it would have been that we had a bigger budget for uh, special effects and uh, had more time. You know, once you, you, the best laid plans, you, you can go into something like that, uh, but you've got literally hundreds of moving parts. 
And each night, th- this particular scene or these these particular scenes that we're shooting tonight entail, you know, fifteen or twenty, maybe thirty uh, 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 name talent, and possibly two or three or four hundred extras. And you know, once you get there, you can have meetings all day, plan out everything to the minutia. Uh, but for an example, uh, when we were doing the battle scene inside one of the battle scenes inside the prison, uh, which was the Parkersburg, uh, uh, jail, uh, real jail, you know, there was, there was nothing, there was not a movie set. And, uh, we had set up with the equipment that we had and one of the stunts that Aston, uh, Amherst. Uh, was to take a bump off of a second level, second story uh, uh, in the cell block down below. And they had crash pads. The problem was they had two crash pads that nobody had thought of holding together in any kind of way. So when he came down and hit those crash pads, they instantly exploded apart and drove him into the concrete. And he ended up separating his shoulder and had to be rushed to the hospital. So that wasn't for anything other than, you know, somebody hadn't thought of that one particular point. Uh, it was that, you know, every day we would have a two or three hour meeting. Uh, the night previous to any of those shots, we had several hours of meetings based off of what we were going to be shooting the next day. Uh, when you're shooting a movie like that, you know, I I remember when I used to read about movies, they'd say, well, it was a, you know, a 46 day shoot. And you go, my God, how much work you get done in 46 days. But then when you see how a day comes and goes, you know, you have no idea if scene A that you're shooting on day one might get done in one take, three takes, 50 takes. Uh, and so there's really no way to uh, uh, predict how quickly or slowly something's going to go on any given day. And no matter what you met about the night before or in the weeks leading up to the days of that shoot, how many things can go wrong or conversely goes right. First take, perfect, might do a second and third just to be, you know, to make sure. And now you're suddenly way ahead in the schedule. Uh, there's really no way to just nail it down and say, okay, today we're going to get this done, tomorrow we're going to get that done, and the day after that we're going to get this stuff done. Uh, it just doesn't work that well uh, or that seamlessly. And, you know, when you're shooting a movie like that, there's so many factors that go into it. Uh, you know, if you have a scene that has, say, three or four actors that are, you know, throwing dialogue back and forth. Three of them might have nailed theirs, and there might have been one slip up by the fourth person involved in that. That pushes it back and requires another take. Uh, and, you know, another take isn't just snap your fingers and hit stop on the camera and push play again uh, or record again. You know, it, it's now back everything up, reset. Uh, the uh, the entire scene has to be reset. Lighting has to be reset. The cameras have to be reset. You know, so it's a very arduous and time-consuming process. 
So, you know, that was the part that I was completely unfamiliar with. And the part that sort of drove me crazy at times, because uh, it's not like our business. In our business, uh, you go out and whether you hit it perfectly or not, it's there for posterity's sake. Uh, with movies, it's a very different beast. And, you know, for that reason, that would be the one thing that I would say uh, that I went in having so little understanding of. Not that I didn't know it was going to take multiple takes. I just had no idea it would take that much time to reset the scene and get everything else set up. So it was a huge learning experience for me and, and certainly whetted my appetite to do more. And I'm sure as long as you... Uh... <laughs> As long as you get to play the bad guy, I'm invested in the movie. You can't. I can't see as the. I can't see as the white knight now. Before we get over to John here for a little ask franchise anything, you know, I think what's kind of funny is the role of the distributor of the film was Troma Entertainment. And if anybody knows anything about Troma Entertainment, you know it's the Toxic Avenger. It is complete gross out horror. And I got to ask you, Shane, are you a fan of, of the gross out horror, the Toxic Avenger, some of that real extreme, that Lloyd Kaufman style? of absolute gross out movies i mean it's it's something to be seen but hey he's got your movie now so uh i guess if you want to see it, you got to go through trauma entertainment to uh to check this movie out now yeah look i mean you know their, their track record speaks for itself right i mean you know again they've got no gone with the winds uh under their belt but yeah, they've got a pretty impressive uh you know listing of the cult movies and to me, that's where pro wrestlers versus zombies is sort of settling into. To pro wrestling fans, uh, when they watch it, they completely get it. You know, they understand when they're watching Roddy Piper on camera what he's portraying. When Shane Douglas is on camera, uh, when any of the others, uh, Matt Harvey, Hardy, Rebby Sky, uh, uh, Kurt Angle, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, when any of these guys are on camera, the wrestling fans completely get what they're portraying because they're so familiar with those characters. The fact that Troma was willing to come on and distribute it and push it, uh, you know, I, again, I, being my first movie, I don't know what the average length is to uh, push a movie on your distribution. And, you know, is it a day? Is it a, a year? Is it something in between? Is it five years? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, the fact that the fans are still bringing up, and I'm sure the ones listening to this episode are uh, the vast majority have either seen it and those that haven't will probably be seeing it, uh, tells me that Troma was doing something right. So it was, uh, for me, uh, a great experience all around. You know, that other than getting sick that day on the, on the final few days of, of filming. It is that time again, AFA-esque franchise anything and shane dan the man sent in an email said shane what is your history with kurt angle have you guys ever wrestled and do you pittsburgh boys like to stick together uh we've never wrestled uh my history with kurt started before he got into the business um mark madden had connected us uh when uh, shortly after he'd won the gold medal uh, the WWE was throwing a lot of money at him and he was being very, very careful for obvious reasons about his, uh, uh, his stature. He, he initially didn't want anything to do with pro wrestling because, you know, he was one of the first 
uh, gold medalist in American wrestling in a long, long time. And uh, uh, I, I may be wrong on the numbers, but I want to say it was Vince Man offered him 10 shots at $100,000 a piece, so a million dollars. Well, ECW couldn't offer him anywhere near that kind of money, obviously. Uh, but when I contacted him through Mark Madden, uh, I explained to him that we had this character, Taz, that was like a shoot, shooter-type character, and would he come in and do the color commentary on it? And he got back to me several days later and said that he would, and he'd be interested in doing it, but he had you know, some concerns. Uh, you know, Again, being very careful of how he was being portrayed because you know, after winning a gold medal in, in the Olympics, you know, you're looking for opportunities and being very careful not to put yourself in any negative light. So when I went to the airport, the Philadelphia airport that day to pick him and his wife up, uh, I walked past him two or three times because as a, an Olympic gold medalist, I'm thinking this guy's going to be a big bastard, you know, a monster. And he wasn't. You know, he's a very average-sized guy in great, phenomenal shape but a very average sized guy and looked like he was three years old. I mean, <laughs> you know, you talk about a baby face, you know, when I look at myself in my younger years in the business, uh, that's what Kurt reminded me of. He was very, very young looking and he came down to the building with us and, uh, you know, halfway through the show, met everybody. Everything was great. The show starts. And at some point into the show, I remember seeing Paul Hammond like scurry down the stairs from the crow's nest and he's going, you got to get up there and calm him down. I said, for what? And Paul pointed to the monitor. I went up to the monitor. I saw the crucifix upside down crucifix with Sabu and Sandman. And I thought, oh, son of a bitch. Uh, you know, and, went, and Kurt was pretty upset as you can imagine, you know, and, uh, uh, he, took my explanation at face value, which I appreciated. And, uh, we did everything at that time we could to protect that and keep him to keep it from giving him any black eye. As a result of that, Kurt and I have forged a bond, you know, that he knows that he can trust me as something. And we've worked with each other off and on through TNA and different places in ECW originally. Uh, we don't, keep in constant contact, but we, we do talk frequently. Uh, and you know, I've always gone along great with Kurt and, and Kurt, I would think would say the same thing. Uh, there, there's for anybody that comes up in Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh being such a sports town and of course us being in the same sport, you know, I think there's, it's easy to see how there's a connection there as there was with me and Zabisco, me and Bruno, me and Dominic, and I'm, I know that uh, uh, Kurt had a great relationship with Bruno uh, and Zabisco. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not like we're best of friends that go out and hang out and have a beer every, every weekend. But uh, there's, a, there's a respect factor there because of the Pittsburgh connection, no question. So as we get to wrap it up here on the show and as we kind of wind down Another great episode of the Triple Threat Podcast. Shane, next week I think we're going to target it towards the fans and, and, and kind of give them the reins of the show. And maybe we'll do a little Ask Franchise Anything full dedicated episode 
We haven't uh, done one of those in a long time, so uh, I think taking advantage of the Twitterverse may uh, come and help us this uh, this next show coming up here. So I think we're going to do a little Ask Franchise Anything next week. What do you think? Sounds great to me. It's been, like you said, it's been a while since we've done that, and we always get such great questions. So for the fans listening, you know, get to uh, at the three threat pod uh, and and throw your questions in, and you know, see if they make air next week. Uh, you know, the only thing I would ask is that please, you know, <laughs> please don't ask me, you know, about flair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> For me, what makes the ask ask franchise anything uh, interesting is that we always do get some great questions that come in there, but you know, you guys are the ones that sort of. Uh, <clears throat> dive through them and, and you know pull the best of them out. Uh, but you know, please, if you're listening out there tonight, you've got a great question you want to ask the franchise. Uh, next week's your chance to do it. Get it sent in and see if it makes air. And if it does, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give a shout out to it. But uh, I love the Ask Franchise Anything uh, segments because uh, the the handful of times that we've done them. Like I said, we always get such great questions in from the fans, and it, it always shows me a little bit different perspectives on stuff that even I'm, you know, completely familiar with. Yeah, no, they're always good. So please, uh, I guess you want to you want to go heavy on Flair, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon. Is it, is this what you're trying to say? You want heavy on the uh, on the three main topics that we get all the time? The same three. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens in the old Ask Franchise Anything. There's always a great array of questions that come up, and especially for the ones that, that participate in every time we ask this. I mean, they just come up with gold. And uh, please, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, like Shane said, at the 3 Threat Pod, or if you want to go the traditional route and you want to send a more detailed question, you can send it to the Triple Threat Pod at gmail.com. Again, the Triple Threat Pod at gmail.com. So that's kind of going to wrap it up here for episode number 70. We want to thank Figures Toy Company for providing what will be the third giveaway next week. We're going to announce what figure it's going to be this coming week online, and you can get your opportunity to win it. Maybe we might even open it up to Facebook this time. We haven't done that yet, so that might throw a little wrinkle into the uh, the old giveaway there. But for everything going on in the world of the Triple Threat Podcast, you can hit up tmptfwrestling.com, and there you'll find all the links to the show, to the YouTubes, to the links, to everything you need to get, especially those franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com, as well as the figures at Figures Toy Company. So, Shane, before we wrap it up here, why don't you tell everybody what you're going to be doing this coming weekend? I know November is a very busy month, so what's, uh, what's going on in the world of the franchise this weekend? Well, this coming weekend is a, is a rare weekend off of the franchise. One of the only few that I have left in the rest of, uh, of uh, 18. Uh, so I'm looking forward to spending time with my kids. My uh, youngest son's got some hockey practice. My oldest son's going to be uh, hanging out. And uh, he just uh, had a great concert uh, this past, uh, uh, past Thursday in uh, Lincoln Park down in uh, Midland, Pennsylvania. And uh, one of the cool things was for that, for me, not to you know, go off on the proud father thing, but uh, he and his friend uh, Marcus, uh, who's a phenomenal drummer, he's a great, great uh, musician in his own right, uh, they wrote a song to a dance segment that was 
a true story about a young lady that in seventh grade had contemplated suicide. And, you know, listening to the music uh, that, that played uh, behind that and realizing that my son had created this with his friend Marcus was just really a pretty cool thing. You know, so anytime I get a chance to, to see my son uh, doing his thing and, and what he loves, music, uh, is super cool to me. And so this weekend I get a chance to do that and and was number two son uh, involved in the athletics and, and playing hockey right now. So uh, it's a, to be a nice weekend off and respite for the franchise before I head back to New Jersey the following week with the SS promotions. Very nice. Yeah, very busy rest of the month for you. And then after that, as as amazing as it is, is going to be the big WrestleCade weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. It's like October went by in a blink. And here we are, we're in November. And, you know, you can look two weeks ahead and we're going to be at Thanksgiving week. So it's like, what the hell is left in this year to begin with? <laughs> like if, Jesus, did, <laughs> exactly. it, did it fly by? Another one in the books. But, Shane, another great show. Appreciate you making the time this week. Glad to have you back. And we will uh, definitely get your son's number for when we need the next guest co-host. <laughs> <laughs> now that Francine is a big YouTube star, we, we can't go to Francine anymore. We got uh, to go to one of your sons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, she, yeah it, it, it's great. You know, she... Mikey and Jerry and Franny and everybody, you know, you know, cutting their teeth into the uh, into the podcast world, into the YouTube world, and uh, if, if all kidding aside, if you if you see one of Franny's uh, recipes, give them a try because I've tried a handful of them and they're phenomenal. I did peek in on one of her uh, little Q and As that she was doing, <laughs> and I got to give her credit for doing that because those things are. Uh... You know, you know how they could be. Live Q and A's are different than the ones that we can kind of sift through and pick out the best ones for the uh, the Ask franchise. Anything, and man, she just she responded to everybody, and she is doing a cooking show. and And I do recommend if anybody wants to give them a try, give those recipes a try. But man, I give her all the credit in the world for answering some of these ridiculous questions that she was getting sent in. <laughs> Yeah, she she that's what makes Franny great. That's what makes Franny great is that she. You know, she completely understands the industry that she's in, and you know, she's like a great trooper. You know, she just goes right along, and and she's also appreciative. You know, for you know, for what she's had in the business, and for the fans that she has, the incredible following that she has, and the fact that she's able to pick that back up. You know, I I tried for years because I had promoters and people ask me for years, "Hey, can you get Francine? Can you get Francine?" And you know, she. You know, like I've told people before a million times, all Franny ever wanted to be was a mother. And she's got a beautiful son, a beautiful daughter, and a great husband. Uh, that's all Franny wanted. So when her kids were younger, uh, she had zero interest in getting back involved in the business. And now that her kids are getting a little bit older, I think she sees that, you know, she's, I don't think, I know she's having fun getting back involved. And I'm happy for her that she had a chance to take that respite to raise her kids and get them to the point where she feels comfortable you know, going doing that stuff. But Franny's always been a great trooper. You, Francine, Jerry Lynn, and Mikey Whipwreck could be the four nicest and most genuine people that I think I've at least come across. No, no, don't, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about, I, I got to blow your cover. I got to blow your cover here. Now the four of you get, and that's what's cool about Jerry and Mikey getting in the podcast world and Francine doing a lot of the interactive stuff. I mean, you guys, it's just, you're all, you're so nice to the fans and you're so appreciative of everything. It's, it's very cool to see everybody 
uh, reaching out and touching somebody, even though, I mean, Jerry and Mikey, no offense, now you're competition. So maybe we can't be, <laughs> maybe we can't be as nice. <laughs> yeah, no, they'll, be, they'll, they'll be great. But those, the three of those guys are great. Me, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I'm, I'm a real jackass. Those guys are all great. It's, uh, yeah, if you can hear what happens when we when we stop recording, then that's when the real franchise kicks in. <laughs> yeah, I cracked the whip. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the edit report after this, and uh, I'll get I'll get I'll get admonished for all my uh, for all my miscues. But hey, let's let's wrap it up here and get out of episode seventy and move it on to seventy one. A little last franchise, anything? So Shane, I'll hand it over to you. Take us out in only the way the franchise can. Big episode 70, heading up to 71 now. Apologies for missing last week, but now you got 70 under your belt. Looking forward to 71. Ask franchise anything. This is your chance to ask that question you've been dying to ask. Make sure you get it written down and sent in, or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.